You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. As we charted out our preaching calendar, I was really excited to learn that I would be teaching this text today because I thought judgmentalism, finally, something that I don't struggle with. And so, uh, all kidding aside, uh, as I prepped and prayed this week, God through his word humbled me and convicted me and has given me life through the gospel. And I hope and pray that through the text today that the spirit does the same for you. Through the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in, the perspective of Jesus' teachings have been given in contrast to the views of the scribes and the Pharisees. These were the religious influences of the time. And now the scribes and the Pharisees, they invented a system of morality and laws where they appointed themselves to judge others. They would judge those who didn't live up to the rules and the standards that they made. They were horribly judgmental of others. They unjustly criticized and condemned others. They were unmerciful, unforgiving, unkind, and ungracious. And through the text today, Jesus, he's going to teach us a different way to judge. He teaches us that we're to rightly make judgments without wrongly being judgmental. We're to rightly make judgments without wrongly being judgmental. And we're going to see this through two points today. First point, how not to judge. And second point, how to judge. So let's get into our first point, how not to judge. Now, without question, verse 1 here, it's one of the most well-known and often quoted texts in all of Scripture. Yet, it's most one of the misunderstood and misapplied texts as well. Now, whether you're a Christian here today or not, most of us have heard or even said or thought of the phrase, who are you to judge? You can't judge me. And the culture around us, and sadly, often the culture within church family, can fall into this. We can also fall into, you shouldn't tell people they're wrong, or you shouldn't negatively evaluate behavior, which when you think about it, It's the exact thing someone is doing when they say that. However, when we we read verse 1, it could be understandable, right? It could be understandable that one may jump to this conclusion that we aren't to judge. I mean, after all, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. So is Jesus, is he telling us not to judge here? Does he mean we're to never discern or to evaluate someone's actions or judge someone's behaviors? When we look at this passage out of context, sure, we could think that. But when we consider the whole counsel of Scripture and the context surrounding this passage, we see that Jesus, he's not teaching us to lose our critical thinking. He's not teaching us to lose our discernment and to not make evaluations 
and judgment. And you might be like, okay, Luke, well, how do we know that? Well, God's word, it tells us that. As followers of Jesus, we're to discern we must know the truth from falsehood. Paul in Ephesians 5 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to what? Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We must discern. We must make judgments. Throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus, he calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites over ten times. He's making a judgment about them. Even later in this chapter, we'll see Jesus warn us to beware of false prophets who he says will recognize by their fruits. And in order to distinguish good fruit from bad fruit, we must discern. We must judge. We must evaluate. Some people even take this verse to mean there should be no court of law, yet we see that this is biblically instituted as well. The principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in Leviticus 24 and then Jesus again in Matthew 5, it's based upon a court of law. It's to guard from personal vengeance, personal judgment. And now the word judge here, it's a very standard Greek word, and that Greek word is krino, or if you want my Pittsburgh Greek, it's krino. So krino, like a lot of other words, it has a, a wide spectrum of meaning. At its base, it's to decide, it's to look at two or more options and to survey them, it's to evaluate and choose, this is the right one, this is the wrong one. It's to discern. I mean, we all did that this morning, right? We all woke up and decided what clothes we were going to wear. Some of you may have brought a rain jacket, and some of you have made another judgment, taking the risk with the Pittsburgh weather, and say, I'm going to leave it at home and take my chances if it rains. And for you true yinzers, it's minios or aiellos. It's minios, by the way. Another way we use this word crino, for example, is think of Paul Hollywood and Prue from the Great British Bake Off. Any great British Bake Off fans here? Yeah. What do we call them? What do we call those? Judges, right? Based on their expertise, though we may disagree with the showstopper they choose, they're to evaluate and judge which sponge is the best. We have a court of law where people are entrusted to make judgments that are fair and just. So Jesus, he's, he's not prohibiting us from discerning. He's not prohibiting us from making judgments, but he's distinguishing, he's distinguishing between acts of judgment and then the other end of this word crino, the other spectrum, side of the spectrum, it's having an attitude of judgmentalism. He's distinguishing the two. J.C. Ryle, in his commentary on Matthew, says this, what our Lord means to condemn is a fault-finding spirit a readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference, a habit of pas passing rash and hasty judgments, a disposition to magnify the errors of infirm and infirmities of our neighbors and make the worst of them. And that's where we find ourselves in the text today. The Pharisees, they were prideful, critical, condemning, and self-righteous. They didn't judge others because of their sin in a way that 
invited them back to God. No, they criticized them because of their flaws. They criticized them because of their character, because of weaknesses they had, or how they looked, or how they dressed, or how they didn't do the things the way the Pharisees did them. Some of you right now may be thinking, well, I'm not judgmental. If that's you, I just, I want you to think through the question, what do you think of those who are judgmental? You see, our hearts, church, our hearts are not well. We're more prideful than we think we are. I know that I certainly am. I mean, just this past week, the Lord, he's revealed so many ways that I can be quick to have a critical, judgmental spirit. And it's because I think others need to do things the way that I do them. I mean, just think about the last year and a half alone. Presidential elections, COVID, social issues, social media posts, who showed up for community group, who didn't show up for community group. I mean, how quick can we be to be hypercritical and to condemn other people? Proverbs 18 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This means we're not to make hasty judgments. Hasty judgments where we assume the motives of others. So church, where are you prone to make hasty judgments? Where are you quick to gossip to a friend about someone or run to social media and make a post about a story that you don't have all the facts to? Jesus, he's saying, do not judge like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they assume the role of God. They think they're righteous on their own. And because of this, they've put themselves in a position to judge. And this judgment, it always rules themselves innocent. And it always rules others guilty. And Jesus, he's telling his disciples, and he's telling our church here today to stop doing this. He's saying there's absolutely no room for this type of judgment in the kingdom of God. We're not to judge people's motives as if we know their heart. Paul goes on to say this in Romans 14. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. And Paul, he says this coming out of talking to them about passing self-righteous judgment on others for things like eating different kinds of meat, and observing special kinds of days. And this attitude of judgmentalism, it can come in many forms, right? It could be judgment on how someone else looks. It could be judgment on their intelligence, or their entertainment preferences, or their parenting philosophy, or their schooling decisions, or lifestyle decisions of how they spend their evenings or if they're going to coffee shops too much and we can judge their spending habits. It could be thinking less of someone because they don't share certain similarities with you. It could even be judging how often I've been getting my hair cut recently. So I want to ask you, church, I want to ask you guys, where do you pass judgment on others for petty, self-righteous things? Where do you think your way of thinking and your way of doing things is superior 
to your brothers and sisters. When we're judgmental this way, it's saying, I'm up here and you're down there. And now I get the irony that I'm on stage right now and you guys are literally down there, but being judgmental this way, it's saying, I'm righteous and holy, you are unrighteous and holy. I'm right, you're wrong. I mean, isn't this how we think sometimes? Being judgmental, having a a critical spirit, it gives us a superiority complex. We think we're better than we are, which makes us think that others are less than they are. We diminish them as God's image bearers. This type of judging is condemning. It's condemning to others and it's condemning to us. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about a a Pharisee and a tax collector in the temple. And they are praying and you have the Pharisee over here and he's saying, God, I am so thankful that I am not like others. I am so thankful that I'm not like these people, especially the tax collector. Look at how good I am. Look at how I give. Look at how I fast. And then you have the tax collector over here beating his chest, pleading to God for mercy because he knows he's a sinner. And Jesus, he says, when those men left, only one of them left justified. And I'll tell you what, it was not the self-righteous Pharisee. It was the one who had a right view of self saying, I am in sinner in need of God's mercy. My brothers, my sisters, where do you look down on, him, on others? Where are you looking down on each other? Do you look down on others because they practice a biblical principle differently than you do? Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Jesus, he's warning his disciples, he's warning us that if we pose as judges, we cannot plead ignorance of the law we think we're able to judge others with. If we pose as judges, we cannot plead ignorance of the law we think we're able to judge others with. I mean, we're more than happy to put ourselves on the bench and bring our gavel down on others and condemn them, all while forgetting we are the guilty ones standing in the dock. Paul says this in Romans, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? The judgment of who? Of God. It is God who is the judge, church, not us. Isaiah 33, 22, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver. 2 Timothy 4.8, the Lord is the righteous judge. Hebrews 12.23, God is judge of all. Genesis 18.25, the judge of all the earth, God judges all things justly. All of Psalm 50, God himself is judge and he judges the wicked and he judges the righteous. The apostle James, he says there's only one lawgiver 
and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who am I to judge my neighbor? This judgment Jesus prohibits, it's this fault-finding critical spirit. The fault-finding critical spirit that's condemning and judgmental that says, I'm better than you. It thinks of ourselves as better than others. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, Jesus is saying we will be judged by the same measure. It's the same standard that we judge others with. What standard do you judge your brothers and sisters with? Is it a standard of self-righteousness that you have set yourself that they need to live up to? Where are you unfair and unjust with the measure that you use for them? <clears throat> See, the principle of receiving the same measure we judge others with isn't a surprise if we recall Jesus' teachings in the previous chapters. In chapter 6, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Your trespasses. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And now the idea here, it's not conditional. It's not God only forgives us or shows us mercy if we first forgive others and are merciful to them. No, Jesus, he's saying that the way we forgive others, the way that we extend mercy to Others, it reveals the way we've already received mercy from Jesus. It reveals the way we've already been forgiven by Jesus. Forgiven people do what? They forgive people. They forgive others. And Jesus, he's saying this is the same when it comes to judging. There's an author and a writer named Jasmine Holmes, and she says this, the measure that I want to use to judge other people is the measure that I want people to use to judge me, which is the word of God. I want to be judged according to the word of God because I know that according to the word of God, I will be found righteous when judged because of Jesus. That's the judgment that I need to be using with other people. What she's saying is that God, the just judge, the only judge, he doesn't count her un righteous. He doesn't count you unrighteous, but rather righteous because of the work of Christ Jesus. And now because of the identity we've been, been given in Christ, we can also be gracious judges. Romans 3 says, the righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Church, all have fallen sinned. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous apart from Jesus. And so he's saying to stop judging others as if you are. So how then? How then are we to judge others? And this brings us to our second point, how to judge. Would you look with me at verses 3 to 5? It should be up here on the screen. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, before we address the log in our eyes, which I'm sure you guys all can't wait to get to, right? Uh, there's some important and intentional language Jesus use here, uses here. This language, it shapes the way we are to judge because Jesus tells us who we are to judge. In these three verses that we just read uh, about the speck, whose eye does Jesus say the speck is in? Whose eye does Jesus say the speck is in? Your brother's. It's your brother's eye. So what does Jesus mean by your brother? Well, first, like many other places in Scripture, Jesus, when he says brothers here, he's referring to both male and female, brother and sister. In this language that Jesus uses, brother and sister, what does that imply? It implies that they're family. Which then we need to ask the question, well, whose family are they? In Matthew 12, Jesus says that whoever does the will of his Father in heaven are his brother and sister. So what Jesus is getting at here is these people are the family of God. We are to remove the specks from God's family. Jesus' brothers and sisters are church. It's those who profess faith in Christ Jesus. It's church family. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he writes to them to confront those in sin. But he says it's not those in sin who are of the world, but those in sin who claim to be a brother and sister in Christ. Those who are in the church professing faith in Jesus. He goes on to say, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. What Paul is saying, what, what Jesus is saying, is that those who are brothers and sisters in Christ are called by God to hold one another accountable when they're turning from God in sin. Do this all throughout the New Testament to exhort each other, admonish each other, love one another, forgive one another. It's your church family that you're to lovingly and gently judge. It's not those outside of the church. In verse 6, Jesus goes on to say, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, in Jesus' time, <clears throat> dogs were not the cute, fuzzy creatures that we let run around our house and sleep in our bed, and some of you even let lick your face. Uh, these dogs, they were mostly dangerous scavengers that roamed throughout the city streets. They were unclean, dangerous animals that people would avoid at all costs. So much so, the Jews at the time even referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And according to the Old Testament law, pigs... Pigs were considered to be unclean animals that couldn't even touch them, or you were deemed unclean as well. And now this is important, church. Jesus here, he's not saying to treat those who don't follow him with contempt. He's not saying to not share the gospel with unbelievers. He's not saying to declare the goodness of God in Christ to those who don't 
know him. I mean, this would go against the whole New Testament, right? It would contradict the great commission that Jesus later gives in Matthew to go make disciples of all nations. Instead, Jesus here, he's painting a picture to his audience that's on the hillside. He's showing them how the Jews in that time, they'd never hand holy food to unclean dogs. They'd never throw pearls to pigs because they'd trample on them. They'd be wasted, and they may even attack them. Proverbs 9 says, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Jesus, he's saying, do not judge outsiders, those who don't profess faith in Christ, because they don't want anything to do with God's ways. Why would they? That which is holy and pearls of great value, these are referring to the gospel of Jesus. It's it's the good news that when God looks at us in our sin, he counts us righteous because of Jesus. And he's saying that of course of those of course those who don't know him will reject your correction. They'll reject your rebuke because they haven't been changed by God's mercy and grace. But those who are in faith in Christ, they'll love it. It's because it reminds them and it points them back to their need for Jesus. So he's saying be wise with your judgments. Don't judge those of the world. But instead, declare the good news of Jesus to them. Instead, Jesus says, be salt and light to those around you. Love them in a way that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. This is how we're to love and treat outsiders. Now, this past week, the Lord, he's really uh, been chipping away at, at my heart He's been chipping away at my judgmentalism in this area. It's easy for me to read the news, uh, to hear, hear a story from someone, or to say on, and can't believe them. What on earth is that politician thinking? How evil is that organization? What is wrong with them? And man, God, he's so good. He's so faithful. Through the text, he humbled me to pause in my temptation to have a judgmental heart towards them and turn to him instead. I mean, how many times has our critical spirit ever changed someone? How many times has our critical spirit ever made us more like Christ? Church, what if instead of being quick to judge the world, we were quick to pray for them? quick to gossip with others, we pause to pray. Could you imagine the posture of our hearts towards those who don't know Christ? Wouldn't our church look so much more like Jesus if instead of being eager to condemn, we were eager to see them turn to God in their sin through praying for them? We'd be eager to go to the one who actually has power to save them. Brothers and sisters, where is it easy for you guys to judge the world? Where do you hold them to a life of godliness that they themselves are rejecting? Where do you need to pray instead of passing judgment? You too were once far from God. But in Jesus, you've been brought back near to him. Jesus, he's saying, don't judge those outside the church. 
They haven't committed to worshiping God with their lives. They haven't committed to be living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12. Instead, we are to wisely and rightly make judgments on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And how do we do this? Jesus says, by first removing the log out of your own eye. Jesus goes on to say in verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So Jesus here, he's teaching us how to work out our self-righteous pride. This pride that keeps us from humbly and lovingly helping our brothers and sisters. He's pushing us toward this humility of self-awareness. It's a humility that roots out our hypocritical, judgmental hearts, right? There's a show I like called The Office. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it or not. Um, But the main character in The Office, Michael Scott, one day he hits one of his employees, Meredith, with his car. And Meredith ends up in the hospital and the rest of the office is talking through how they're going to get to the hospital to go and visit her. And Michael says, I'll drive. Who wants shotgun? And another employee says, you can't be serious. You ran a woman over with your car this morning. (laughs) I mean, this is why log removal is important. Can any of us blame Stanley for not wanting to drive with Michael? No. I mean, think of a time someone approached you and your sin, yet they themselves were completely oblivious to theirs. It can seem like they're just fault-finding, that they're just criticizing. They're being critical of you while not even caring about themselves. And Jesus, he's saying, this is hypocritical. I mean, this is, this whole text is such a ridiculous picture, right? A speck, a splinter in your eye, yet here I come clunking along with this big two-by-four in my eye saying, hey, I'm going to rip that speck out of your eye for you. You would be like, no, thank you. I mean, that'd be like me, someone who has zero ability to sing well, to come over to Nicole and start criticizing her voice, criticizing how she sings, to say, sing this way, not that way, pretending as if I didn't suck at singing. To be able to rightly judge without wrongly being judgmental, we must first rightly judge ourselves. In Romans 12, Paul says we aren't to think of ourselves more highly than we should, but rather with sober judgment. So church, where do you think of yourself more highly than you should? Where do you think you're better than you actually are? I mean, if we're really concerned about righteousness, if we're really concerned about truth and judgment, then we're going to see it first in our own lives, no? I mean, we should see it where it's most obviously missing, and that's in our own hearts. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And I wonder... What areas of your heart have you convinced yourself that you're without sin? Where have you convinced yourself that your sin is so minuscule compared to others that you don't even need to address it? That it's over here and you say, ah, I might get to it later. 
if at all. It's not that big of a deal. Church, we have a heart problem. We're more self-righteous and more prideful than we think. And when I say we, I am leading at the front of that line. But I want you guys to hear me when I say that Jesus, through his word today, is inviting us to come to him so he can remove the hypocritical self-righteous log for us. In the very next verse in 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How beautiful is that? We have a God who's faithful even when we're unfaithful. We have a God who's eager to remove the log out of our eyes, the sin out of our hearts. And he's showing us that through his grace, we can come to him and regularly confess our need for him because he is faithful and just to forgive. And then church, as we do that, Jesus is saying, go and humbly remove the specks from your brother's and sister's eyes. The principle of Jesus' teaching here is not for us to be perfect before we remove the speck from a brother's eye, but it's to not be proud or arrogant when we do it. We're to keep close watch on our own sin, but the directive here is to help remove our brother's speck so that their sin does not lead them to death. And later in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us a model Uh, He shows the church a model on how to do this, to call our brothers and sisters in sin back to Christ. We are to do this. Paul sums it up this way in Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When a brother, when a sister, they're in sin, the reason we are to judge them The goal in judging them is to help remove the speck from their eye so that they may be restored. That's the time that we're to judge others. Not because they're different, not because we don't like how they think or what they do. When we judge others, it's because they are in sin and we love them so much that we want them to turn from their sin in Christ. That they'd confess their need for Jesus and sin and turn back to the Father And we're to do this through a spirit of gentleness and humility that first remembers who we are in Christ so we can lovingly remind them who they are in Christ. We're to judge in a way that helps one another look look more like Jesus in their sin, not more like us in our sin. This is discipleship, church. It's commitment to your brothers, commitment to your sisters, To help them follow Jesus. But man, this is difficult, right? This isn't easy. It's easy to stand up here and and preach about it, but man, this is hard to to live out. It's challenging. Speck removal in this way is no easy thing. It requires patience and gentleness, self-control and humility. And it even requires humility to have a speck removed from our eyes as well. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I physically had something stuck in my eye. I know, perfect timing for this illustration. Uh, 24 hours, my eye was in horrible pain. Could barely open it, could barely close it. 
I tried and tried to, to fix it myself, and it wouldn't go away. And I finally called the doctor, and when I went in, she calmly and kindly asked me questions about my eye. She said, when did it happen? How did it happen? How were you feeling? And then she, after she listened to me, she carefully opened my eye, and she said, I see it. And ever so gently, she removed the speck that she found, and at last, my eye, it felt whole again. Back in Matthew 6, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. My eye, it was bad. I could not see the speck. I needed help. And Jesus, he's saying, for the sake of your brothers and sisters, spiritual health, remove the specks. We need people. I need you guys to point out my sin in a loving way that brings me back to Jesus. I mean, let's think of our actual eyes for a minute. Think of how sensitive they are. Imagine if your neighbor next to you right now just started poking around in your eye. That would not feel good, right? You don't want anyone just wildly sticking their fingers in your eye, do you? And in the same way, it's not helpful to recklessly dig into others' hearts with a prideful and judgmental approach. We're to be eye doctors with each other. That means that our aim needs to be restoring the eye back to health, pointing them back to Jesus. This is to be lovingly curious and ask them questions. It's to understand the situation. It's to know your brother, to know your sister, know what's going on in their heart before you jump to conclusions and make a judgment that condemns them. So I want to ask you guys, when you judge and remove specks from others, is it from a heart that loves them so much in their sin that the only goal is to help them know the mercy and grace of Jesus? Is that why you guys do it? Or do you think, or do you do this out of a place of pride and annoyance that they're not the way you think they should be? I know that I often do that one. Are you patient and gentle in your approach? Or are you quick to rip the speck out of their eye and then throw them a bandage and say, go ahead, cover it up. You'll be all right. How we judge others says far more about us than about those we judge. And this is why Jesus says you will be judged with the same measure you judge others with. Church, if you're like me, the measure you've repeatedly judged others with is not one of right judgment. It's one of condemnation and self-righteousness. And what does God's word say will happen to those who judge like me, who judge like this? He says the judgment of God will fall rightly on them. Our holy God will separate what is good from evil, those who righteously and perfectly lived according to his law from those who broke it. We, all of us, you, me, we've all fallen short of God's glory in our sin. And what is the wage of that? It's death. This means we deserve the wrath of God's judgment. We deserve the wrath of God's just, just judgment that pronounces us guilty. 
We're the ones who deserve this judgment because the log in our eyes, the sin in our hearts, it's lodged so deep within our souls that it's part of our nature. But the beautiful thing is, the the thing that makes me fall to my knees and weep when I think about it is that Jesus, Jesus, the one who God gave all authority to judge, didn't come to earth to condemn us in our sin, but to save us from it instead. The Gospel of John says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus, he's the true and better eye doctor. He's the one who pursued us in our sin that we may be able to see again and have health to our eyes and our heart. And when Jesus gently and lovingly and patiently removed this wood from our eyes, it wasn't just a splinter or a log. No, this wood that he pulled out of us was a Roman torture device known as a cross. It was a cross that was reserved for the worst kinds of criminals that were judged as guilty. It was the cross those who committed sin hung from. It was the cross we were meant to hang on, church. But Jesus, Jesus, the sinless one, the innocent one, he said, judge me instead. Judge me instead. Church, our Savior, he bore our sins, our guilt, our prideful, judgmental, critical hearts on the cross. So now that when God looks at us and he judges us, his judgment does not fall on us according to our sin, but according to the righteousness of Jesus. Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's through his blood. Thank you, Jesus, for this blood. It's through the blood of our Savior, Jesus, we've been forgiven our trespasses. And we've been judged then as though we've never sinned. Theologian Sinclair Ferguson says, The heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained restrained in its judgment of others. It has seen itself deserving judgment and condemnation before the Lord, and yet, instead of experiencing his burning anger, has tasted his infinite mercy. My brothers, my sisters, what grace, what mercy the Lord has lavished on us. May we be people who judge others this way. And to help us do this, I I want to send us out with three things to consider before we judge others. Number one, check your heart first. Ask the Lord to examine not only the sin in our hearts, but also the motives of why we're judging a brother or a sister. Is it out of a, a pettiness or is it out of a genuine love for them to see them turn back to Christ? Number two, pray. Before you make judgments, pray for yourself and pray for those who don't know Christ and pray for your brothers and sisters who are in sin before correcting them that the Spirit, the Spirit may 
turn them from their sin back to God. And number three, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Don't assume the, the motives of others. Be gentle with them. Be patient with them. Seek to understand them in their sin as you pursue them. Thank you.